Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard Podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast. I'm your host Mike Moynihan. Welcome to the show everybody. Uh, really excited about this week at least to talk cards and to talk vintage and talk some things. There's been a lot of news in the hobby over the last week which I'm sure my guest and I will get into as we talk cards and tonight's going to be a little bit different. This is really going to be pretty ad hoc and, and off the cuff. John and I are just going to talk about rare stuff. By the way, my guest tonight, if you don't know who he is, his name is John Mangini. He has an amazing YouTube channel called The Mangini Collection. In fact, I kind of did a video not too long ago where I discussed the collections that I enjoy seeing the most on YouTube. Not necessarily, it wasn't about the friends, although all the, a lot of the guys that I discussed are my friends, including John. Uh, guys that I can talk to about cards and discuss things. Uh, that wasn't it. These are just guys' collections that I just think are amazing. I love the way they talk about them. I love the stories they tell. And John was my number one guy. And I think he might have been taken aback a little bit by that. I'm saying all this now while he's not here because I don't want to embarrass him, although he doesn't get embarrassed too easy. He does numchucks and stuff. And But John is a has just an absolutely unbelievable collection. His knowledge of the hobby, his knowledge of vintage, pre-war, post-war, modern, you name it, multiple sports. John's been doing this a really long time. We're going to hear a little bit of his story as well and just get into talking cards because that's, to me, if you were to say, what kind of conversations do I like to have the most? It's not about all the drama in the hobby and all the you know, all the crazy stuff that happens and prices and, you know, volatility and this and that. It's just talking about how much we love baseball cards. So I don't know, maybe I should start and bring in our guests like this. Do you know what I like to do when I'm talking to John Mangini? I like to look at baseball cards. Baseball cards. That's right. <laughs> hey, John, hey, good to see you, man. Hey, good to see you. Thanks so Welcome much for having me on. Oh, that that's not a problem. I mean, I should have had you on a long time ago. You're my uh, you're my number one guy, as I said, and I I really meant that when I did that. Obviously, I wasn't kidding around. Your collection is insane. I love seeing all the different things you show. Uh, I I actually don't comment on your videos a lot because I run out of superlatives to say like awesome, you know, totally cool, whatever. Uh, I'm like. What's he going to have me say that's going to matter? It's like, I don't know. Uh, I just love what you do. So, man, tell everybody kind of what, you know, you've been in the hobby a long time. Tell everybody a little bit about that story. 
Yeah, so um, my mom started buying me baseball cards when I was real little. And I was just a baseball fanatic from the time I can remember. I mean, I loved playing it. I loved reading about it. She would take me to the mall, and the first place I would go is to the bookstore, and I'd start looking for baseball card books or baseball books. I remember the first time I saw Baseball Cards magazine. I couldn't believe they had a magazine just for baseball cards. I was so excited. had to get that. I had a babysitter when I was real little, and she gave me a box of 1971, 72, and 73 cards. And uh, that uh, started me. That was kind of vintage to me because they, they predated the cards that I bought. And uh, yeah, I was just hooked from day one. And when I was a little kid, my dad would tell me about the old great players and I would read about them. And so I just had a fascination with the real old players. And so we had a flea market. I grew up in the country and I had to walk like a mile through the woods to go to this fire hall, little tiny fire hall. But they had a flea market and they had a lot of vintage card dealers there, uh, surprisingly. And that was the only place I could find baseball cards that weren't, you know, in a pack. And I would go down there with my friends and I would buy up all the old players that I read about or my dad told me about. And my friends are buying, you know, Steve Garvey, Dave Parker. I, I mean, I bought those too. But um, so that's uh, that's really how I built up my vintage collection. Yeah, I'm the same way. I I still, when I go to a bookstore, I go to the sports section and look for, especially like if you go to like a half price books or some type of one of those places where they sell books that people have bought brought to them to sell back and. I love looking for that stuff that those diamonds in the rough on, on old books about baseball, the history yeah. of the game and cards too. Like if I see a card book, I really go nuts, but it's uh, we have very similar backgrounds. I just love the old stories about old players and the myths and the, you remember what were those years? What was the year of those Fleer stickers? They weren't stickers, I guess they were like Fleer cards that had the, Christy Mathewson and Walter Johnson and all the like baseball feats or great feats or something like that. Do you remember? Oh, you mean like where they highlight uh, big events like World yeah. Series, that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were, um, I think the first ones were 68 or 69, and then they made them again in 71. And I know that Clemente in the seven, I think it's the 71. The Clemente goes for a, a good bit of money in that one. Because uh, I guess he's he's the only player that was still playing when they were produced. You know, they talk about um, Carl Hubble's uh, feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, and they're like cartoony looking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have yeah. a whole bunch of those from when I was a kid. I, I actually don't think I have any of the 71s, though. I have the older ones. Yeah. Uh, those are... I don't know. I just remember reading all these stories and being fascinated by it. And it's almost like this mythical thing in my childhood of reading all these stories of which none of which I saw in person or now I've seen some of it on either the baseball documentary by Ken Burns or just stuff being highlighted. And you can see video and pictures of these players. But back then it was just reading, uh, reading the stories. And I love that. But you know, one thing that you show on your channel and people listening on the podcast, I know I do. I have a lot of guests that are on YouTube and it's because that's my primary medium of delivering sports card content. And I, and I love doing it. So I've met a lot of great people 
through this process of, of doing YouTube. And John, you know, if you, if you don't watch YouTube and you're just listening to this, it's worth just pulling up YouTube and typing in John Mangini, M-A-N-G-I-N-I, the Mangini collection, and you will not be disappointed. Just start, just start enjoying, uh, cause your collection's amazing, John. So thank you. Uh, I work, I work long and hard on it decades. <laughs> Yeah. And that's, you know, again, we, we say this on this, I say this on this show, I say it on my channel all the time that it's a marathon, not a sprint that people want to have these amazing collections quickly and barring being a multimillionaire or winning the lottery, it's going to take you a really long time. I've been doing this four decades. You've been doing it longer than that. I believe. Um, when'd you, when'd you get your first card? Do you remember what year or when you started? I, I remember exactly where I was when I got my first pack. It was okay. uh, 1973. So that was the year I was born. So what does that tell you, old man? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was very young. I mean, I was uh, 73. What was I? Well, I was five. Okay. So we're not that far apart. Once you get older, that year it doesn't matter as much. We're all old at this point. You're just old. Like you got a lot of, we both got gray in our beard and that just is what it is, right? Yeah. I mean that, yeah, exactly. When, when you're young, like if you're uh, if you're 20 and hanging out with a 10 year old, that's ridiculous. But if you're 50 and hanging out with a 40 year old, you know, you fit in. <laughs> yeah, much more, much, much easier to have common interest at that point, for sure. Right. So one thing that I think you specialize in that I love is you show stuff. And there's been a lot of times I've watched your channel and said, I've never seen that before. Uh, the rare stuff that you have is exquisite i'd love to just as we talk through kind of the golden age that we try to focus on on this podcast showing some of your rarer cards but first i think i think it's only fair given that it's been about a what has it been five or six days i guess since the tops news dropped that fanatics was taking over the mlb license and mlbpa licenses in a few years it's not happening tomorrow what's just your general take and then maybe what you think how it would affect vintage plus or minus yeah so my initial my initial reaction was one of a little bit of sadness like kind of the end of an era um and i made a video uh where i played taps and i showed a card from every top set up until 76 like all the main rookie cards starting with 1948 which a lot of people don't realize that was the first year they made baseball cards um, anyway, it was meant to be kind of tongue in cheek, you know, how sad I am. Um, but after, you know, after digesting it and thinking about it, I mean, we don't know, uh, what's going to happen really. And does fanatics, you know, do they have a, a, a factory to produce cards? Because when hostess wanted to make cards or Kellogg's wanted to make cards or anybody else, they went to tops and had to make them right. Is that what's going to happen now? What do you yeah. think? Um, well, first of all, none of the card manufacturers actually make their own cards. That's all third party. They all hire that out to really, it's all here in Dallas, Fort Worth. Basically every sports card that's printed, 95% of them are printed here in the Dallas, Fort Worth area by both companies, Panini and, and Tops is who I'm talking about mainly. Oh, and okay. so they don't. They don't do it themselves either. So when you bitch about when people, not you, but when people bitch about uh, 
quality control and this and that. That's not done. You know, it's not in the tops office in New York where they have a printing press down in the basement or whatever, printing cards. That's all done here. And then uh, so I think that fanatics will just contract out the same way, do a deal with these printers that print the cards uh, to, to do that. Remember back in the day in the 90s, there was all these backdoor things that came out from Pinnacle and some other places as they would go bankrupt. These cards would mysteriously just show up on. Well, that was somebody in that printing company figuring out a way to finagle those out of the building and release them to the public. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, there, there's there are rumors, and I, I saw somebody somebody from Upper Deck back in the day say this that they were still printing that Ken Griffey Jr. card the the, the following year. Yeah. Uh, possible i i've heard the same rumor obviously rumor is not fact but it's right it's certainly it's fun to con to have that conjecture out there of what could have happened but you know i think i'm i was felt the same way with me as you did i felt initially i felt sadness uh, i was literally sad like i had lost a loved one or something and again we don't know i've i've said on a video yesterday i'm going to take a wait and see attitude about kind of what happens it's it's hard to react and get upset about something that we don't know yet like why what's the point of getting mad now i'm not saying i wouldn't be won't be mad later or whatever or get upset with whatever happens and transpires but to this point it's difficult to come to any conclusions because we just don't know what those are going to be and uh but it is sad to think that there could be no more tops cards that just that bothers me at my core, but we're lucky in that we have 70. And by that point, by the time these expire 75 ish years of tops cards that we can still collect. It's, and you know, I, I guess I kind of likened it to Bowman, you know, back in the day when Bowman stopped making baseball cards after 1955, there was no Bowman cards till 1989. And that was only, and even though tops owned the Bowman name, they bought them out uh, after you know, the 55 set or so it was 56 or something like they bought Bowman right. and they just chose not to make any Bowman cards until they released that God awful, ugly set from 1989. That was whatever, um, reminiscent of the 53 Bowman, but very poorly executed in my opinion. Uh, the Griffey's a nice card though. I will admit. I was going to say that the Griffey and the Bo Jackson too. Yeah. I like that. Overall, the oversized, like, like, what's the point of that? Nothing fit in my box. Maybe I was just bitter because it didn't fit like every other. It wasn't three and a half by five and a half. So it didn't work. And I was like, wait, I don't even have top loaders for this or whatever, penny sleeves. Or it was very annoying back in the day when I would buy those. Uh, but I, I think I still love Bowman cards, even though vintage Bowmans weren't made, you know, after 1955. So, I think we can still have a love for the vintage cards and what they are, whether there's tops today or not. I just think it'll change. And maybe we should talk about this, change the dynamics of the hobby overall, right? What if things, what if fanatic comes out and makes things really expensive? You know, they have high SRPs and there's no more hobby shop distributions. Again, we don't know how any of this is going to play out, but that could change. People could be, forced out of the hobby just because they're like, I don't want to pay what Fanatics is asking. I've never bought anything from Fanatics. You know why? Because everything's so bloody expensive on their website. I'm like, no, thanks. Yeah. Right. 
I, I agree with your line of thinking totally. Like I'm taking a wait and see, and we don't know how this is going to pan out. And I do believe that it will raise the price of new cards. Yeah. I, I, does, I, that, I, does that gravitate people more towards the vintage world? Do you think? Do you think that pushes more people like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to buy vintage. You know, Mike, I don't know because there's just a new dynamic around, you know, with the, the new shiny cards and intentionally short printed. It's a totally different dynamic, right? Like um, when it comes to vintage cards, like I have cards here that are organically rare, right? They were um, regionally distributed or not a lot of people kept them or they were made in Canada and, um, you know, Canadians weren't that into baseball back then. And now it's just manufactured scarcity, you know, right. uh, like making that one of one care bear or something. So it's a totally different realm to me. And I think a lot of the people that are collecting the new stuff don't like you know, the vintage or don't like the old stuff. They like their, their they like the shiny, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so it seems like for the most part, there's two different sets of collectors, those that really love the vintage and those that really love the new. And then there are the hybrids like me and you that have both. Yeah. I, if I had to choose though, and I'd love to hear your answer to this, I would choose a vintage. Like if I had two cards in front of me and I could only buy one, I would buy the vintage card every day of the week. Well, I think you know my answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> the answer. older, the better. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite, I don't know if the word oddball is right, but rare is probably correct. No, I don't like that term oddball, Mike. I don't either. I mean, I, I couldn't think of another word in the moment, but uh, <laughs> let's call it less mainstream, right? Okay. Um, yeah. the, I love the Wilson Wieners cards. I love the red heart cards. I think they're just gorgeous, stunning, uh, cards. I love how the Wilson Wieners looks ironically familiar and similar to the 54 tops. Right. Yeah. Why? Cause it was printed by tops. Right. Um, they did so you talk about them. Oh, that's so jealous. You're showing a 19, uh, 54 Wilson Wieners or Wilson Franks, I guess, technically. I call them the Wilson Wieners cards, but uh, <laughs> just because I like saying the word wiener. I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, you're showing the Ted Williams, which is an iconic, that's one of, that's really high on my bucket list. And of course, I need the Campanella too. God, I hate you already. We're only 18 Here's minutes. Filler. Oh, those are gorgeous. You still love baseball cards that have a, a little package of hot dogs on the front of them. I was always fascinated with these. So, those cards distributed in hot dog packs, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I believe and so. I'm actually not sure. That. Now there were a lot of hot dog, um, a lot of hot dog cards and they're all rare. Like let's take, um, like here I have a 1954 Briggs meat. And I, I think um, probably this and Meadow Dairy, which is a little tiny cutout from the side of a milk carton. Uh, is uh, Willie Mays's rarest card. So is that a cutout as well? Well, you know, Dave from Blue Jacket 66 and I had a discussion on this because people were researching it, uh, how these were put in with the hot dogs. And, uh, you know, some say it's on top. They were on top of the hot dog. Nobody seems to remember. 
But I can tell you this, there are faint hot dog stains on this card on both sides, real faint, which leads me to believe that they were um, put in between the hot dogs. That seems like recipe for destroying the card, right? Well, that's why you're going to find them in authentic or ones, right? You're, this is the other this is the other difference with vintage versus brand new. Theoretically, any card you pull out of a pack, unless it was damaged at the store, unless you damaged opening it, should be a 10, right? Vintage cards weren't like that. They came out of the packs, not 10s. I mean, the, right. the tobacco cards, the T206s weren't 10s when you when you opened the cigarettes up, right? Right. And uh, we all know some of the centering issues with like the 78 Eddie Murray, for instance, um, and there are a lot of cards like that that are really tough to find centered. The 76 George Brett is another Ozzie one. Smith rookie is notoriously off center all the time. Yeah. So there was, you know, there was a there was a need for grading uh, with vintage cards for that reason and for unscrupulous people that might be altering them or whatever. Um, so you know, I've never really understood the the grading fascination with brand new cards out of packs. It just never seemed to make sense to me, but. That's uh, that's where we're at in the hobby. To each his own, obviously. Sure. Uh, but that's the difference with vintage. Like, there's a reason to grade them. And some of the some of the rare cards, like these hot dog cards, you're just not going to find in a ten or a nine or an eight or a seven, even in, in a lot of cases. I actually, I don't know why I feel this way, and there will probably be tons of people out there that disagree. I like a card to have a little character to it. I don't necessarily want it to be bent in half or whatever, but a card that shows its age has never bothered me. A, a nice looking three or four or five is perfectly acceptable to me because it's a card that's 40, 50, 60 years old. Like it should, I'm not going to look very good at 60 years old or 70 years old. Probably I'm have a few wrinkles, you know, and, uh, a little rougher on the around the edges, just like our our baseball cards should be. So I appreciate that in a card and almost expect it, right? Well, I say it all the time. I'm the same way. You you people might be surprised, but I select sometimes cards that are a little bit lower grade because they look better to me. And growing up, you know, those were the cards I had in my collection. Now I'm with you. I don't want them bent in half. I don't want uh, the face scratched out or anything like that. Uh, registration and the image is the most important thing to me personally. And then I like centering. And uh, the corners aren't quite near, uh, you know. And the other thing, uh, nearly as important, I should say. The other thing is if you look at like this Ted Williams, Wilson Franks, or this Roy Campanella, I mean, these are beautiful examples of the cards, but they're lower grade, right? Now, what would I have? pay for a seven or an eight in these i mean tens of thousands so if you want to have like a nice collection with all the cards you want collecting the lower grades is much more affordable too yeah I, I mean, the, the amount so alike we are so alike it is sick um, you know i feel the same way go ahead oh i just wanted to say the difference sometimes between like a seven and a, and a nine can be thousands and visually to us, it doesn't really look any different, right? We're not, we don't look at our cards under a microscope or under a loop. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you can take, I, I use an arm's length test a lot. Like just 
is the card visually appealing at arm's length? Does it look good when I, how I'm going to be looking at it 99.9% of the time, which is holding it in my hand and looking at the card. Are there things that bother me or don't bother me? I'm, I love well-centered cards too, but I, I also find that with so many cards that we, and you're the same way, I think we both want a lot of different things in our collection. Yeah. Um, that, like you said, there's only so much money and I'd rather stretch my hobby dollar. I could buy. And there are people that vehemently disagree with this theory, by the way. And that's, that's okay for them to feel that way. They'd rather save up and buy one really nice card. I'd rather own 10 lower grade cards to have those 10 cards in my collection. And I know guys on that just think I'm crazy for feeling that way, but I do. You know, you know I had uh, there was a guy on Facebook and I I'd post a bunch of cards and he would kind of come at me and he'd be like why would you have all those cards in fours and fives when you could sell those 10 cards and get one Christy Mathewson and an eight. Right. You know? And I'm like I'd rather have all these cards than just one Christy Mathewson. But in collecting it's to each his own, right? You should do what makes you happy. What makes sure. me happy is having um, cards represented from as many sets as humanly possible. So I don't have the most the most expensive collection, right? Like you might have one card that's worth more than my entire collection, but I'm willing to bet I have the most extensive collection in the world. I have just about every set represented. <laughs> I have just about every era, just about every sport. Uh, I have lots and lots and lots. But like I said, you can have one card and it's worth more. You could pull it out of a pack tomorrow, the way that things are going right now. That's worth more than my entire collection I spent decades putting together. But that's the other thing with new people in the hobby. They don't have the the sentimental, the connection, the nostalgia. Those are all overused words, I think, in the hobby. But I, I just like the word connection. There's a connection to stories I used to read or... Um, meeting players at card shows or whatever. There's a card behind you that I'd like to talk about because I'd love you to educate me on this set. If you look behind you, there's a 64 standups on your oh. shelf up there. Roberto Clemente. Well, he's pretty terrible. I just did a whole, a whole uh, episode on Roberto Clemente on my channel, but because I completed the tops run. Yeah, I saw but, that. But the those 64 standups i think are way underrated um why are they so rare because they they feel rare to me is that true or not true no that that's rare i i that's rare that's true yeah they're okay. they're tough they're tough to find is it because most of them were punched out because if you don't know top standups are essentially a little they're stand up like if you they're like little cardboard cutouts you perforated you could open up the image and make it stand up and do you think a lot of them were punched out? Well, I think um, I'm actually not sure how they were distributed. Do you know? I think were they, they were in packs. In they were inserts in packs. Yeah. Okay. I thought they were inserts and they must have been pretty rare because even to find them punched, uh, it's hard to find them. Yeah. And uh, But that probably adds to it. You know, um, if, if kids actually punched them and, and stood them up, you know, they would have gotten destroyed over over time. But I love the color scheme of that set. Uh, the yellow and the green just pop, you know, very hard 
condition car, like tough to get good grades on those. There, I just have always been fascinated with the pop-ups. You know, the the uh, the play balls from the mid '30s too. Just always been fascinated. And then in what was it, '87 or '88, they made the taller ones. The dog. And the, and those the, were in Donruss packs. Yeah. A lot of the things that I love to collect, like, weren't the the things that really went up in value. Some of them, you know, you you can barely give away, but they still have a lot of meaning to me. Like what other I, uh, rare stuff you got thing, there. Or, the one thing I, I just want to say this: the one thing yeah, I yeah. don't really like about the hobby is the the value, right? When the emphasis is on value of the card, because you know, like I said, you could pull a card out of a pack tomorrow of some uh, up and coming rookie that sells for you know two million dollars, um, and I have uh, some of my favorite cards of all time. You know don't have a lot of in quotation marks value right if i wanted to sell them and it's more about the cards than the money so the money in, in a lot of ways um you know takes away from the hobby for me and i have uh, people i'll give tours to my card room here and uh the the question everybody always wants to ask is what's your most expensive card oh totally and my wife always says he's not going to tell you and <laughs> My answer always is number one. I never answer that question. I have, I have, uh, you know, thirteen hundred followers on Facebook, and I'll get that question if I post a card. What's it worth? I, I honestly don't even reply, or I'll get messages because I just never engage in that. And quite honestly, I don't follow pricing. So the only time I know what a card is worth is when I'm going to buy it, and then I start looking around and seeing what they're selling for. Or if uh, on a rare occasion I have doubles and I'm going to sell something, then I'll you know look up the price. But that's the only time I even know the prices. Yeah, that I think you're right. That fascination with value. My 14 year old nephew was here saying with us a couple weeks ago. He was here about a week, and Julie asked me to bring him in and kind of show him some cards and all he asked every card well that's cool what's that worth right oh, that's cool what's that worth and i think it's a mindset that i don't know that i had that when i was i i don't know that i didn't have it i'm not trying to sit here and sound all righteous and self-righteous and sanctimonious that i was some guy that didn't think about the value but I've grown out of that for sure. If I did feel, I don't remember feeling that way, but I'm not saying I didn't. Uh, and wow, that's worth a lot of money. How cool is that? Maybe because there's this childlike fascination with dollar bills and having money that I think as you mature and you realize other things are important than the almighty dollar. And that's for sure as collectors, the way you and I think I'd buy every card for a dollar and wouldn't care. You know, I don't, the fact well, that it has value is nice, but yeah. So when I have people come over and, um, you know, my wife will be like, oh, you should see his card room or whatever. Like, I don't even want them to come up if they're not a baseball fan or a sports fan because they have no idea what they're looking at. And it's just not fun for me. And that's what they want to know is, oh, well, this is interesting. What's this what's this room worth or whatever? And, you know, but for a baseball fan or a, a sports fan in general to come up here and just go, wow, wow. or Oh, you have that player. You have that player. You know, because when I was when I was little, we were sports fanatics. I grew up in the country. We had a different field for every sport. That's all we did every day. 
and we would walk to the store and buy packs of cards or walk to the flea market. And cards were like currency to us, right? Uh, but it was about the cards. It was about the players. So then they started, you know, making price guides for cards and you would sit there and, and it was a little fascinating, like, oh, what's this worth? You know, you, you start to get wrapped up in that. And then, um, you know, the kind of the boom came where, where cards actually started to have some decent value and people would get the magazines or the weekly publications, monthly publications. And the first thing you do or you buy a Beckett at the bookstore is, is go through and start looking up the price of your cards, what they're, the value of them, what are they worth? And so there is a fascination with that. There's no there's no doubt about it. But uh, it, it, it's a good thing. But then it, it also kind of takes away from the hobby itself, from the cards themselves. And I look at the boom and, you know, we've done videos, we collapse and using words that really trigger people. Like, why do you want the hobby to fail? We'll hear. And I'm like, I don't want the hobby to fail. I just don't need the hobby to be, you know, out of reach for like, I just have to pay more and that doesn't make me happy. Why can't I be unhappy about like, I don't, I'd rather just pay less. Uh, cause I don't plan on selling anytime, anytime soon. Uh, in fact, I don't know that I ever will. It's, it's more of a question of what's my wife going to do with it if I get hit by the proverbial turnip truck. So I'd like right. her to get some value out of it, but at the same time I do it cause I love it. Right. Not again, it's cool. And people ask when they come to my, what's your most same questions, you know, uh, and, or what's your most expensive autograph? What I love is I have so much. Like, you know, I have 35 Fergie Jenkins autos or whatever. I have so many of all these players that, especially when they're, like you said, when they're baseball fans or sports fans, and I go, all right, name a, who's your favorite player? And they'll name a player. And I'll go grab an autograph of that player and give it to them, especially if they're, mainly this is for kids, not necessarily for the adults that come over, although I've done it for some adults that have come over. But if the kid comes over, who's your favorite player? And yeah. Or I'll give them an old player, like an an autograph that I have, you know, plenty of, like it's not any skin, whether it has value or not is irrelevant. And I say, hey, go learn about this player. I want you to go read his Wikipedia page or look at baseball reference or go learn about this person and who they were and their impact on the game. And it's invariably a Hall of Famer because that's what I have most of, right? And I'll follow up with those kids. Hey, what'd you think of so-and-so? Well, I haven't read about him yet. Okay, go do that. And then I'll, I'm going to call you in a week and see what you learned. And that, that's fun teaching these kids to think beyond just the now, to, to, to respect the past, to respect the history. Because baseball, by and large, is pretty much the same sport. It's been played for 150 years the same way, right? Uh, yep. Other than... You know, for the most part, for the most part, by and large, yeah. right? More, more uh, than any sport. More than any other sport, for sure. I mean, right? I mean, like basketball, the three pointer was added. In football, the two pointer was added. They added games. They, I mean, they changed the rules dramatically. The Mel Blunt rule, and hockey changed the game to make it faster. So now we have nine to seven games instead of two to one games. Um, so baseball, even though it's gone through some changes, has changed the the least. I think. I agree. And that's, that's why I think the history of the game and the numbers of the game mean so much to people that know what those are. If I tell a baseball fan, 
What does 56 mean? Joe DiMaggio. If I say uh, 406, what do you 406, say? Ted Williams, 1941. Ted Williams. That's right. Well, both those things happened to happen in 1941. Yes, they did, and DiMaggio won the uh, MVP. And if I, yeah, which is, Ted Williams was pretty pissed about all that, by the way. He thought he should have won a few more MVPs. Um, what if I said 714? Babe Ruth. Yeah. So, I mean, there's just numbers that mean something in baseball that I don't, you don't go. I mean, other than Wilt Chamberlain scoring 100 points in a game, I can't think of another thing in basketball that I just go, wow, that's that's a historic but, number. Yeah, right? I never really thought about it, but you're right. I mean, I could do dozens of those numbers, and you would know exactly what I mean by just saying a number, you know, um, which is crazy. Uh, and, that, and it's a sport that does that like, no, like none other, where those connections throughout history matter we all know what hitting 300 means. We all know what 3,000 hits means in a career, 500 home runs. Those have significance today, just as they did 50 years ago, 80 years ago. Um, so that's just, I'm sorry, I'm blabbing about <laughs> how we feel about the history of the okay. game. I've, I've always had a fascination with history. I love history. And I always love baseball and I love sports in general. Um, so, you know, this... This hobby combines both for me. And one of the fascinating things is it's almost never ending, really. Like, I'm still learning about players um, and learning things that I, you know, players I never heard of and fascinating things about them I never knew. Like, I, I just did a video on this uh, 1939 uh, play ball, Mel Al Almada. Did you ever hear of him? Never heard of him. Not till you showed the card. Well, do you know that he is the first Mexican to play in the in Major League Baseball? I did not know that. He's essentially the Mexican Jackie Robinson, and he he holds two places. He got the last hit off of Babe Ruth as a pitcher. Very cool. Yeah, and see, I learned that. Yeah, and you just learned that, even though you've been doing this forever, right? Right. And yeah, that's that's the cool thing that baseball can do that is different it's just different and it's special for sure yeah. all right what else you got in front of you i know you got a ton of cards so uh, what do you want to look at so um you know stan musual didn't have cards like in the 56 55 57 but in um in you know with tops or bowman but in uh, 1955 they produced cards that were, um, I guess they sold a baseball glove that was a Stan Musial, and it came in a box um, with cards that were you could cut out. And so in 1955, he actually does have cards, and not everybody knows about them. There were four different ones. That's one there. Here's another one. Are you familiar with these, Mike? No, I've never seen those before till you're showing them to me right now. Yeah, so, you know, um, like I have... You know, I have the mainstream cards, right? Like in 54, you have the Hank Aaron rookie, the Ernie Banks rookie, the Al Kaline rookie, you know, a great Jackie Robinson. And these are the mainstream cards you see all the time over and over again, right? But I've always been fascinated with the obscure, right? The, the, the stuff you never, you never see. And uh, the stuff you, people don't even know exists. 
you know, like a lot of people don't aren't familiar with these Johnson Johnston cookies from um, uh, 50. What were they? 53, 54 and 55. Yeah, they're awesome. You know, they're they're uh, well, I know everybody likes to bust my chops about saying rare, but, you know, they're pretty rare. And Go back to the Musual. I want to ask you some questions about those because are they all blue background, all four versions? Do they have yeah. that? Yeah, they were on the side of boxes, and uh, you can still find the box with the glove and everything. It's pretty pretty rare, but they exist. So are those um, hard to find, just the cards themselves? Yes, they are. Um, yes, they are. Where, where did you get yours, might I ask, if you can remember? Well, um... That's a good question. <laughs> I got this PSA one uh, off of eBay, a seller I buy from. Okay. And that's where I get most of my cards, actually, because I live in South Carolina currently. And when I, I'm from Pittsburgh, when I lived in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's a sports town, you know, and they have lots of card shows. They have lots of card stores uh, back when I lived there, at least. And down here, there's just no card shows. There's no card stores. And so I'm, I'm kind of uh, limited to the internet, um, which is fantastic because, you know, when I was little going to those flea markets, I just bought whatever I could get my hands on, right? I, I couldn't be choosy. I couldn't pick and choose what cards I wanted. I could just buy them when I saw them or when I found them. And so nowadays, if you know about something, you can search it, you can buy it like instantaneously, usually, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah totally. But how did you, so when you see, how do you find, maybe this is something to help viewers. How do you find the obscure? How do you, like, how do you even know to search for it? Did you, do you have a, you know, standard catalog that you look through and go, oh, I don't have one of those, you know? I have read the standard catalog, like the Bible. <laughs> I go through there and there are times where I just have to put it away because it makes me spend too much money. Okay. And so, yes, I have studied that. And then, of course, I love getting um, uh, Sports Collectors Digest, and they will feature different sets. Um, and the same with the PSA magazine. Um, same with Beckett. Beckett Vintage is phenomenal. I love that magazine. Uh, and, you know, you read about something or somebody might post something on Facebook or show it on YouTube, and then you want it. Uh, that's more recent. But if I discover it, and some, a lot of times I just discover it by accident because I just spend hours, you know, uh, perusing eBay uh, for, um, you know, different searches, different searches. Or maybe a lot of times I'm just looking for a particular player and then I'll discover a card and I'll be like, well, I never saw that before. What is that? And then I'll go to the standard catalog and read about it or I'll go to PSA's website and look at the pop report or uh, get a description, you know. So it's, uh, it's a lot of investigating, really. And a lot of the, the cards I have found that are rare, it, it was an accident. You know, I didn't know they existed. And once I found out, I just had to have them, you know, that kind right. of thing. Yeah, that's kind of the funnest discoveries you can make. Uh, yeah, let me share this. So uh, I'm going to sure. show now um, the 1977 Topps Clock. Yeah. You're familiar with these, right? Very. Love them. Okay, what a lot of people aren't aware of is, did you know that this was the third attempt? I did not know that. So they made them in 1972. I have two of those. Willie Davis. They were, they were a test, and they never made it 
out. So it, all the ones that made it out came from employees or the garbage from Tops. And then the even more rare, in 1976, they made a test. And it's only Duffy Dyer and, oh, I'm going to mess up his last name, Bob Apacada or something. Do you know who I'm talking about? I do, actually. Sadly, I do. Yeah, know. I always mess up his pronunciation. I can but spell anyway, it for you, but I can't pronounce it because I can see it on his baseball card. Yeah, and I, I knew how to pronounce it at one time. But anyway, they were the only two, and they tested these out before they made the 1977 ones. And the only ones that made it out, like I said, had to be from Topps employees. And I have the Duffy Dyer here. And of course, I had to get the Pittsburgh Pirate. Yeah, sure. Why wouldn't you? Uh, these 72s are pricey. I mean, if you find a Clemente or something, you're going to pay. So what, you know, you've talked about how extensive and how many examples of cards you want from as many sets as possible. What's the one set you don't have a card of that you would love to get? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know what? I forget the... Um, Oh, you put me on the spot. I forget the designation off the top of my head. Um, but they're little, um, you, you may know, they're tobacco cards uh, that are black and white, very rare from, um, you know, around the T206 era. I forget. Do you know, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. They're very, very rare. No. And I, even up, go for thousands. I'm self-admittedly not the greatest. I mean, I know enough about pre-war just to be dangerous, and that's about where it ends uh all the different ice cream sets and tobacco sets and candy sets and all of that the e101 or I, I couldn't tell you a whole lot other than i know they exist uh um, yeah i wish that's something that's an area i want to bone up my knowledge on well you know it's difficult to remember all the different number designations and a lot of those e like i love e-cards i have a huge collection of e-cards but they, they, a lot of times they look the same, but uh, they were distributed differently, right? They, one's standard caramel, one's Philadelphia caramel, one's American caramel, uh, and they all have their own designation. And I can't remember them all off the top of my head. You know what I mean? But why did he use, like, I get T for tobacco. Why E for confectionaries, you know? Or, I, or I believe edible. Edible. I uh, think. Uh, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Interesting. I never put that together in my head. Thank you for you're teaching me a lot tonight. Oh, That's what W why you use W for like the cutout cards of yeah. the 20s or the 30s. strip cards, right? The strips. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what W would stand for. <sighs> Maybe we could come up. I, I'm sure there's there's obviously a reason or I, I'm sure somebody can comment below what the W stands for for yeah, the strip and, cards. And, and the R too, the R for um, like the Gaudi um, premiums and stuff like that, yeah. oversized. I don't know yeah. what R stands for either, because they were like premiums. So P would make more sense to me. Right. <laughs> or O for oversize or something, right? Because yeah. most of them are all the those big cards. There's one right there, yeah. Yeah, this is one of my favorites. This Babe Ruth, Gaudi, I believe from I think thirty four. I think. Right in, I, I forget this card. I forget sometimes, but this was a stand up too, Mike. See the stand. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's really hard to find the stand up in perfect tact like this. 
Now, do you use auction houses at all on your searches or? You know, um, I have bought from auction houses in the past, but uh, not not much. And I really should do more. Um, the thing about auction houses for me, number one, I, I search for deals and I, I get some steals. I just today purchased a Tris speaker and I rarely tell anybody what I paid for something. But uh, PSA has only ever graded 10 of them. And uh, I got it for $350. Now that's like 10% of a Mike Trout update. Right. right. And to me, a Tris speaker in great shape that PSA has only ever graded 10 of. And uh, it's it's a set that's the, um, what is it, the 575-2. And they call it the Shoulder Signature Series. Uh, they all have, I have the Ty Cobb too. They have the signature across the shoulder. But that set is so rare. And the the, the Dash 1 is even more rare. So, so did you find that just on a random eBay search? Or? Yes. So back to my point, I got a little distracted there. Sorry. That's okay. The, the auction houses, they get the uh, Nuff Said cards of the world. They get the, the Blue Jacket 66s of the world. The Mike uh, Monahan's of the world. Right. They go after the, you know, and you're, you're going up against people that know what they're, know what they are, number one. And um, it's a very focused thing where on eBay, things will go under the radar. Right. And the seller might not know how rare they are or not, might not care. Um, and they, and you, I have seen listings on there for years. I have literally watched things for years and I have to keep watching them and keep watching them and keep watching them. And, uh, you know, then you make an offer and they'll take it because it's been on there for two or three years. Right. So um, that's how I get my deals. I mean, you, you just a lot of searching and looking. But I, I do. I think people would be shocked how um, little I, I pay for most of my cards. You know, I, I, I haven't paid top dollar. And that's why, like right now is a little frustrating for me because some of the cards I I would have known what I know now, as we all say, I would have I would have picked up. But now they're just out of my reach you know i'm just not going to going to pay those prices now unless they come back down they will don't worry that's coming yeah i think they will too i i, I do and I, I think that's good for the hobby honestly that's going to sound counterintuitive but i think it nothing can go up meteorically forever this parabolic you know rise in card prices is not sustainable um, but I know you didn't go to the national this year. Have you been to a national before? Mike, I'm embarrassed to say I never have. I don't even know how you call yourself a card collector. You should just I know. quit. I know. <laughs> so is, do you think you'll go to a national ever or does that intrigue you? I'm, I'm definitely going to go and I'm going to go next year. I was going to go this year, but, um, you know, with the whole, covid thing and everything up in the air and i had just gotten burned on an italy trip when this thing hit and i just uh, didn't feel comfortable like booking anything ahead of time i it, and then when uh you know if it was within driving distance i would have definitely gone but by the time it seemed like okay it's definitely on then um you know i don't know i'm, I'm real busy where i just didn't feel like making a last minute making last minute travel plans, but I'm going to go next year for sure. Well, I'm excited to shake your hand and get a chance to meet you and 
it's it's so much fun i can't even describe it you heard you hear everybody talk about it and it's mike i live vicariously through you because i watched all your videos and i'll tell you as soon as i started watching your video i looked at my wife and i said man i am in deep regret right now <laughs> I, I was so mad i wasn't there and seeing wow. all the youtubers together and the the get-togethers you had and you know you're like the uh you're like the um I, I, how, do, how can I say this? Kind of like the godfather of the the card community, right? Like you you have a way of um, bringing everybody together, creating things like the Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you for that. And I think, okay. uh, I think a lot of other people should because you, you take a lot of scrutiny. And I, I don't think it's, uh, you know, anybody in the limelight um, and certainly on social media takes some scrutiny. But uh, it's certainly not deserved by you. And I just want to say that. Well, I appreciate that. I hope beyond whatever controversy I might cause, self-induced controversy, <laughs> people, can, people can see how much I love this hobby and how much respect I have for the hobby and, and whatnot. But uh, just us talking tonight has reinvigorated. You know, it's just it's so much fun to talk to fellow collectors, especially guys like you and Dave and Eric. And I, there, I could just, Andrew enough said so many guys that I know that we all have this call it loony obsession with the old stuff. That is uh, like, I there's set things you show that I just am blown away by and you make me spend money. Cause I go out and buy stuff. Uh, but <laughs> that's a good thing. Right. I mean, I think that's, I have a lot of people tell me that on my comments. Um, there, there, I get, I get like the same comments over and over again. Um, one is, I've never seen that before. I've never seen that, and they'll be like, uh, "You show me something else I've never seen before." Now I got to go shopping, you know, that kind of thing. And then I get a lot of a lot of positive comments about my enthusiasm, and I get a lot of comments that you know I care about a card, a dollar card, sometimes as much as I care about a, you know a thousand dollar card. Um, so those are all those are all good things, and that's that's I mean that's true. That's what I'm about, really. I I love all cards. And yeah, your enthusiasm is infectious, and it's, uh, I mean, you've only been doing YouTube for a couple of years now, two, yeah. three years. Yeah, I, it was that. an afterthought for me, just like, I, I didn't even think anybody would ever look at it, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, I'm glad you joined the community. I have to share this. When I when I first did YouTube, like, I have my card room and everything, I, I made a, a Facebook page, and I put all my cards if you're on Facebook, it's the Mangini Collection too. I have like not all my cards from the '80s because I have all those sets and stuff, but um, I have pretty much all my cards on there. You, uh, they're in albums. You can look at every card I have. You can see all the different sets and everything. And uh, so, anyway, when I um, as an afterthought, I made a video for my Facebook page, and I happened to have a YouTube account which I had n nothing on. I, you know, so I'm like. Well, let me throw it on YouTube. And so it was just basically me sitting on my floor with like no shoes on, um, just leafing through um, T205s, like 100 miles an hour, and leafing through 33 DeLongs and uh, all these cards and just talking about the players. And honestly, I mean, I didn't take it that seriously. And then uh, Dave, Blue Jacket 66, again, I'll bring his name up one more time. Um, he saw my my video and he, he gave a shout out and he did a video um where he was telling me 
how to how to do YouTube basically. And he's like, you need to slow down. I want to see those cards. <laughs> so I was just rif riffling, you know, through them so fast. Um, because it's just a different media medium. So uh, anyway, I got a, I got a big kick of that kick out of that. And now you've made dozens of friends, I think, through the community, right? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I'm going to a card show uh, next weekend um, over the September three with um, Lou Rock and James from Elite Hunters. We're gonna meet nice. up in Tampa and go to a card show. And I, I just came back from Tampa a couple of weeks ago where I met up with Lou. That's awesome. I remember seeing pictures of you guys out at dinner and everything. So, well, man, uh, I know we could talk literally hours and hours. We've talked almost an hour now. And I just, again, enjoy hearing your stories. Your knowledge is incredible. I really appreciate what you bring to the hobby and what you bring to this community. So if you're out there, go follow the Mangini Collection on YouTube. You will not regret it. If you love vintage, you're going to love John and what he shows. Uh, any final thoughts you want to put out there, John? Yeah, I, I, I wanted to show one thing, if I may. Sure. When I was a little kid, um, my, um, well, I still am, a Robert, I was a Roberto Clemente fanatic, right? Like, he was my idol. Yeah. And he predated me a little bit. My dad said uh, I watched him on his lap. But anyway, I had a, a babysitter um, one summer. And when she found out I was a Roberto Clemente fanatic and we got to knew, know each other, she brought me such a special piece. And um, I, I kept it cherished all these years, but it's an original Roberto Clemente photograph. He posed for her at Three Rivers Stadium shortly before his death. Wow. That's unbelievable. And to the best of my knowledge, this would be the only one in the world, right? Right. The type one photo, right? It is uh, just such a special piece for me. I, I always uh, protected it. It's in perfect condition uh, since from the time I was a little kid. See, those are connections that vintage can bring. Um, and again, all modern cards will be vintage someday, right? Kind of, yeah. you know, but I hope kids or people new to the hobby have buy them because they love them not just because they have a dollar sign attached to them yeah i'm in agreement and uh, i want to thank you for having me on it was a good time i always love talking about cards or baseball or sports yeah we covered a, a myriad of topics didn't we we didn't just but i hope everybody enjoyed this episode uh having a discussion with john is always a good time i'll have you back on again i promise john and we'll do this again but uh Thanks to everybody out there for watching, for listening on the podcast. Appreciate your support. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. Keep collecting.